Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, Patricia is sharing an article with us. Um, do you want to tell us just briefly what your topic is for today? Sure. So the topic today is understaffing. Um, so really, most people I think know what that means. You don't have enough employees. And we're talking about coping strategies. So how do people deal with understaffing and how does that help um, reduce burnout? That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's particularly relevant for us right now, given we are in a state of the world where a lot of individuals are laying people off for financial reasons because of COVID. And so if you are not, uh, you know, hopefully not one of those people that are getting laid off, but you're left behind, you could find yourself a little more stretched uh, than you were before, because I'm sure everybody's trying to operate as lean as possible. Yeah, I read this article because it made me think about healthcare specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we have a huge need for healthcare workers right now. There's so there's so much. I mean, I can't even talk about how crazy it is mm-hmm. with everything coronavirus related for folks in the healthcare industry. And I mean, healthcare has been understaffed for a long time. It's not something new, at least in the U.S. You know, we always hear about nursing shortages. And then now we're in a place with critical need for nurses. And we were already understaffed. So I can imagine how much more challenging life is for individuals um, right now with all the increase in patients plus understaffing. So I think healthcare is really what inspired me. But I do think it's really relevant to lots of different organizations. I mean, thinking about grocery store employees and people that, I mean, grocery stores are crazy busy right now. And I think that there's a need, I mean, everybody's hiring in those industries because of how busy they are. And they're understaffed as well. So there's a lot of industries that there's a huge shift in the workforce right now and things are changing day to day. Like I'm sure that by the time this even airs, there might be a different idea about what what um, industries are being impacted the most, right? So yeah, I think yeah. that it's really critical just to talk about understaffing and how we can deal with it better at this time. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think bringing up the healthcare issue is a really good call out because Um, a lot right now I was hearing that, um, in some States they are actually allowing, um, individuals who don't have, not that they don't have qualifications to be doing what they'll be doing, but under normal circumstances, they wouldn't be able to do what they're being allowed to do now, like writing prescriptions and things like that, because they technically have, you know, I guess enough, they've been deemed to have enough knowledge and capability to be better suited than, anyone else uh, to jump in so they're like changing some of the qualifications of who's allowed to do what to try to create more people who are able to make these kinds of calls um they're also like bringing people from different they're like offering I know New York is like offering to bring in medical professionals from different states to try to pitch in if their state's not like dealing with COVID as much um and so I think you know there are lots of different Um, individuals right now that are working not only in a highly stressful job, but also in a job where they feel like they just don't even have enough hours in the day to deal with everything that's going on. So um, I'm starting to, um, or I was helping with a hospital where um, a collaborative of mine has a good friend who is the head of one of the units there. And she said that the doctors and nurses and the rest of the staff are just so overwhelmed and so, you know, 
just stressed and tired that um, she's actually looking for people to run sort of mini focus groups to try to allow people to just vent and get out their emotions about what's going on Um, because it's like all of this pent up all these like pent up feelings about the situation that don't really have any avenue right now so we were working on creating um the other day as like sort of a volunteer like giving back to what's going on effort um like a facilitator guide to help people who are going to be guiding these groups um, on a daily basis. And some of them will just be like 15 minutes. Some might be a half an hour. Some people might want to like start like an hour group for people to stay after work and vent or before work. Um, But yeah. And it's all stemming from this idea that you're talking about that people just feel really stretched thin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. I mean, my mom works in healthcare, so I hear all the stories from her, and it's just, it's scary out there. It's a lot. Healthcare is definitely stretched super, super thin. Um, but hopefully, this article will apply to a lot of people because I know that. Like my sister is a good example where they there's a lot of furloughed employees and so they have a smaller staff that are still working and those employees are working the job of maybe 10 other people. Um, so there's a lot going on with those folks too. Um, you know, in some cases, essential workers can go into an office for certain things, but they're still limited to the number of people that can be in the office. So you maybe you're doing shifts and things like that, but when you're in the office, you're doing more work than maybe you would be doing before because of that mm-hmm. uh, limiting number of people. So I think that there's a lot of different scenarios where understaffing is happening right now. And uh, and I'm hoping that maybe there's some pretty easy tips, actually, that you can take away and hopefully make an impact to make it a little bit easier during this really bizarre, unique time. Yeah, totally. Um yeah, I mean, it is just one of those things that it's it's really crazy that we're even in this position right now to be talking about all of the changes that are going on in the world. And it's definitely, you know, not something that's easy for any of us to get through. But when you're thinking about, you know, individuals who are really having to deal with and bearing the brunt of either you know, there's been a lot of layoffs and now I'm not just coping with this like everybody else is, but I'm also, um, you know, dealing with the fact that I have to take on new job responsibilities or I'm feeling overrun and overwork and I don't even really have time to cope with the emotional things that are happening around me. Or like you're saying in healthcare where I'm directly dealing with the stress, um, the stressful parts of it and the upsetting parts of it. So I also don't have time to really deal with my own emotions around things or how things work um, under these circumstances. And so, you know, really taking some time, I think, through this episode potentially to unpack some of what people might be feeling um, in 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 an understaffed situation um, is really helpful. Yes, we can hope. Um, yes. But before I dive in, I just wanted to see we're talking lots about COVID and I want to see how you're doing being at home for so long already. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine. Luckily, no one that I know is sick. And so that's good. Um, Or is there are a couple people I know that have symptoms that are not sure if they have it, but they seem to be doing okay. Um, So that's all of that, you know, is good. I think the general, um, the first initial part of being stuck inside. So at this point, we're inside for like, what, like two weeks, a little over two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um. And so I think 
it, my daily life hasn't changed that much because um, whenever I'm on research semester in the fall, like I don't go into the office that much and I mostly work from home and most of my meetings can be done virtually. So in some ways things feel very normal, but my, and my weekend routine, I don't, we don't go out that much, but we do go out to eat a lot and things like that. So like initially I felt like for the past couple of weeks, I was just like, well, whatever, you know, like it's not that different. But then for some reason, when they announced today that it was going to be extended another month and I'm positive it's going to get extended another month after that unfortunately but I think that that would probably be the wisest thing for us to do if the projections that they have are correct that for some reason just hit me really weirdly that like for some reason like thinking back to a time of like oh I was in my house for two weeks or three weeks like I even though I mentally like knew it was coming that it was going to be longer seems like oh remember that crazy time when you had to be in your house for three weeks but like now that it's going to be six weeks and then it might be another month after that, like for some reason, like the reality of it kind of hit me and I was like, whoa, this is actually like a crazy, I mean, I already knew it was a crazy time in history, but for some reason, like that announcement just made it feel more real or something. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I felt the same way. And we had um, a flight to Hawaii booked for our anniversary yes. in the beginning of May and they made the announcement and then Hawaiian Airlines canceled our flight and yeah. that kind of almost solidified it all. Like we knew we were probably going to cancel it, right? Like it was yeah. in our hearts already. We knew it was going to happen, but I didn't want to let go hope, right? So I just like kept it on the books. I knew I could cancel it later if I needed to. And then when they canceled it, I was like, well, I guess we're really officially not going. And yeah. I was very sad. And I mean, it's, it's kind of silly. It's our first anniversary. So I was excited about it. It's not like that big of a deal. But I do agree that I felt like, okay, yeah, my routine's not going to change that dramatically either because I work from home. But I've been feeling a little stir crazy. And it's just simple things that we would go out to eat every once in a while, right? So like, I want to go to a restaurant. I want someone to tell me the specials. Mm-hmm. I want a cocktail brought to me. I want to have dinner and not have to clean it up myself. <laughs> like, right, yeah. Silly things like that. I just feel weird. Yeah, or weird. just like be able to like walk down the street and be like, oh, I think I'll go into this store or like I'll go, you know, grab a coffee somewhere or just like whatever. It like sounds like very stupid, but it's not so much like, that I can't have that coffee or like buy something from a store. Cause frankly, I like don't buy things from stores that much. I usually shop for almost everything online. Um, but like it's, there's just something about the idea that I can't do. Like there's like the idea that the world is not functioning the same way started to like really like mess with my brain you know what I mean like it's like yeah well I can choose not to go into a store and like maybe I wouldn't choose to do that anyway but the fact that like the store actually doesn't exist as the same store anymore is very strange mm-hmm. I totally agree I completely agree it's not that I have to have those things and yeah I'm definitely not one of those people that would be doing it even if they were open right I understand right. that this is a smart thing to do is to be at home but I just totally it feels, it just feels weird. And for some reason, like you said, it feels different. And even though like I'm in California, so it was already going to be through like at least, I think it was April 19th was the date. So now they've extended it like what, another 10 days. Like it shouldn't be that big of an impact, but it Mm -hmm. feels like such a big impact. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why it's, I think it's because when they first told you, Oh, it's going to be till April 19th, 
you had we haven't yet experienced it right it's like when we first had the lockdown happen we're like okay well i can do that it's not so bad and then now we've been doing it for a little while yeah that the extension feels longer because it's like i've already done two weeks and it's actually harder than it seems yeah and also just like yeah and it didn't seem to go that quickly like time does seem to be going a lot more slowly Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm just like, oh, another month. Like we've already blown through. I like, you know, like I and you don't either. Like I really don't watch a lot of shows, like a lot of series shows. Like I put things on as like background noise basically. But like it's like cooking competitions or people trying to find a house or whatever. Like I have literally blown through so much television. And now I'm like, there's nothing else left for me. Like I'm like, where? (laughs) Like there's nothing else that I want to view. Like, I'm like, what are we going to watch? And Brendan and I are just sitting there being like, well, what do you want to watch? Well, I don't know. And then I'll be like, what about this? And he's like, no. And, and he's like, what about this? I'm like, no. Cause there are certain things I want to watch that he doesn't want to watch and vice versa. So then like, we've kind of run out of like all the things that we both want to watch, but then you also don't want to be like quarantined from each other in a quarantine. So like all these like weird things that we're trying to work out that we're like, what is happening? Yeah, anyway. I agree. We I told Danny has to make a list because I feel like we always talk about things like before this happened and be like, oh, well, we have to watch that show. We have to watch that show. We have to watch this show. But then we don't remember what they yeah. were. <laughs> so yes. now we're at this point where it's like, OK, well, maybe we should watch, a, you know, an episode or two a day of some show. But then we're like, well, what shows did we say we were supposed to watch? Yeah, because we caught up on the ones we remembered. And then now we don't remember. <laughs> yeah. It becomes a necessity at this point because you got to keep, you got to, this is a survival tactic at this point. Definitely. Well, let's get on to understaffing then. Um, okay. We will get through this. It'll be fine. We'll yes. all get through this. Um, but in the meantime, let's talk about understaffing and how you can get through that if you find yourself in that situation. That sounds good. So this article was published in 2019. It's by Shen Cheng Cheng and Kim. And it's called What to Do and What Works, Exploring How Work Groups Cope with Understaffing. And it was published in the Journal of Occupational Health Psychology. So I'm going to start kind of with a high level summary because it was a very it's kind of a complicated article in a lot of ways. Um, so there's like a different concepts I want to talk about. And the main takeaway though, is that there's different types of understaffing and they cause people to do different coping strategies. Um, and one of those coping strategies called consideration, which I'll talk about in a second is actually the best to help people in terms of burnout. Mm hmm. So what are the different types of understaffing? So there's two different kinds. So there's manpower understaffing. So that's basically when you don't have enough people, like physically there are not enough people in the office, work environment, whatever it is, to do the work. So it's purely just you don't have enough hands to get everything done within the day that you need to get done. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's manpower understaffing. And then there's expertise understaffing. And that one is... Basically not having the knowledge, skills, or abilities within a specific unit to get all the work done. So Katina, that kind of ties back to what you're saying, how like people different, people can now write prescriptions that are maybe in different roles than there were before um, that was trying to probably 
adapt for a lack of this expertise mm-hmm. group. Yeah, definitely. So there's like either it's just like we all know how to do this job, but we just don't have enough people to get it done. Or it's like we could get it done technically, but we just don't have enough people that know how. Right. Mm hmm. Exactly. Yep. So like when they talk about nursing shortages, um, you know, over the past several years, you hear about nursing shortages and that comes down to just not having enough people with that specific expertise and education and training to do the job. Um, So you might have plenty of, I don't know, CNAs, like certified nursing assistants, but you don't have enough nurses. So all these CNAs, that's great, but you don't have enough nurses for them to support. um, So that that creates a gap in the organization. So it's the expertise piece is the more complicated um, Mm -hmm. understaffing. Yeah, it sounds like it because, um, you know, obviously if you just don't have enough bodies in the room, it's easier to find. And if it's something that, you know, would be easy enough for somebody to pick up more quickly, which might be the case if it's just a, a sheer volume related issue, then, you know, it, it would be, probably easier to find the individuals that you need but if you're looking for people that have a real specific um, expertise it's probably harder which is why I mean speaking of all this stuff going on it's hard not to talk about it but which is why um, I've been talking to a couple of people that are related to virologists and those like top virologists have been traveling all around to consult at different hospitals and to help people to cope with like what they should be doing from a resource perspective because there's not that many of them. So they're like, mm-hmm. it, like the knowledge literally needs to travel um, in order for it to get around. Cause it's so specialized. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a, I don't know, a great example, but it's definitely an example of expertise understaffing mm-hmm. um, at its worst right yeah. now with yeah. the, with the healthcare, the, the role that you talked about, just generally speaking in healthcare, we don't have, you know, a surplus of doctors and nurses running around. Um, so that makes it challenging. You hear about people coming out of retirement to help. Like there's a lot of that going on because mm-hmm. of the expertise side. I think that at least currently where we are in the state of coronavirus, the manpower side is lacking in the grocery stores in distribution and those types of places where we're seeing, you know, more deliveries of groceries, more of those types of things. Yeah. Um, and that's where you need the manpower. It's not necessarily... Uh, something that you have to go to school for for a million years right but it's something where you need people to complete tasks so I think both types are currently happening um, in different industries just depending on what industry you're looking at yeah that totally makes sense Um, so what were the main uh, variables that they looked at in the study or what are the main things that they were interested in looking at with regard to understaffing Yeah. So they were curious about how do people cope? Like what do they do when they are dealing with understaffing? So there's a couple of different things they looked at. So one thing you can do is look at problem focused coping strategies. So those are ones where you actually change the problem, whatever it is, you're doing something to try to address the issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the specific kind of of problem-focused coping that they looked at is called initiating structure. So that's when a leader takes the time to define new roles, establish new standards, basically creating some sort of um, process to address this, right? They Maybe they're assigning mm-hmm. different people to specific tasks. So that's initiating structure and that's focusing on the problem. Mm-hmm. Another type of coping strategy is emotion-focused. And so that's where you're really focused on 
dealing with the emotional reaction to the stress. So Mm -hmm. if I'm really overwhelmed because we're understaffed, one of the strategies would be to address those overwhelmed emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So they had two different things that really tied into the emotion-focused coping. One is consideration. So that's where a leader focuses on demonstrating concern and support, you know, letting you vent, trying to say positive words of encouragement, things like that. And then there's also team member exchange, which is basically the quality of the social relationship within a work group. So if you have good team member exchange, that means you are working well with your team members. You're having positive interactions with them Mm -hmm. and supporting each other. So those two things are ways that a group can help cope with the emotional side of being understaffed. Okay. So they sort of have to cope with two sorts of, or they can sort of go down two different paths in coping. It can either be coping by addressing the actual work, or it can be coping by addressing the feelings that you're having. Exactly. Yep. Okay. You've got it. Awesome. So then what they did is they looked at performance and burnout and they looked at group burnout so they were really focused on teams and groups and talking about how members of work groups that feel emotionally drained at work right that would be a group burnout so they looked to see how does understaffing impact the way people cope with things and then how does that lead to burnout and they also looked at performance so it was burnout and performance were the two kind of final outcomes right mm-hmm. so what they found was that when you were dealing with manpower understaffing, right? So you didn't have enough people to physically do the work. That led the leaders of groups to do that problem solving, that initiating structure. So they're the ones that are going to be now assigning people to specific tasks, like trying to think of a structure to, to help, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If there's expertise understaffing, they found that leaders would more likely do the emotional coping. So they would okay. do the consideration piece. They're going to help trying to make things a little more positive for the group. Um, and it also led to team members having more positive ex- social exchanges with each other. So what it co- it's interesting because having that expertise, understaffing the way people cope is by supporting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and is that partially because... There's look, there's not much I can do for you. Like all I can basically do is say, you know, something that not a lot of people know how to do or that we can't locate a lot of people that know how to do it. So we're not going to be able to tactically solve this problem. So the best way that we can provide support for you is showing you that we understand the stress that you're under and like kind of letting you have a voice in that process. I think so. I mean, they didn't really see why that's the case right mm-hmm. they just were able to test whether or not what they did um, but I think that makes a lot of sense I think it really does come down to the fact that with expertise understaffing it's not about it's not about the number of people you have it's about the fact that you just don't have those skills and there's nothing you can do about that until you're able to get somebody with those skills in the door so mm-hmm. what else can you do right now well I can support you I can make you feel a little bit more positive about the situation that you're in mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense Um, interestingly, when leaders do that kind of consideration, so when they're helping their team members by, um, trying to make it a little bit more positive of an experience at work, those groups that have leaders that do that see lower burnout. Hmm. Um, so being supported, helping with the emotional coping of the stress really helps with the burnout perspective. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, so it's a positive thing that if you... 
if you know that someone is stretched thin from a from a knowledge perspective and there's not enough expertise on the team something you shouldn't just say okay let me go you know try to search endlessly for a person that I think could fill that role if that's not going to be something that you think is going to be a quick fix or maybe you're doing that but it's going to take some time in the meantime the best thing that you can do is provide the emotional support exactly yep and nothing that leaders and team members can do can really impact the performance of the group at that point Mm -hmm. so that was an interesting thing like generally speaking when you're understaffed performance um was not good right okay regardless of the type of understaffing um it wasn't like statistically significant if you want to go into the details there there wasn't a strong relationship because performance was measured in a like an evaluation approach so there's a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff going on there but basically just to break it down you don't see that performance is really impacted by the coping strategy in this case um so it's not you're not going to suddenly be like a great group even though you're missing this expertise, mm-hmm. you're just not going to feel as burnt out. So that's good. So you'll be able to come to work. You'll be able to do your best. Um, you're not going to be the most amazing team ever because you don't have that information or that knowledge or that skill that you need, but you're still going to, you're going to feel okay about it. Yeah. So I, so, but I do think, I mean, I don't know what the time frame was that they looked at performance in, but because we know from other literature that burnout is related to performance in the long term, I think it would be interesting to follow up down the line because if people are less burnout, it may not be an immediate impact on performance, but over time there may be some positive benefits to performance that maybe because of the time horizon, I'm not sure what the time horizon was, but maybe because of the time horizon, this study wasn't able to capture them all. Yeah, it was three months. So they measured performance three months later. Um, But to your point, I think that if the group was completely burnt out, there may have been a really negative relationship with performance, but there wasn't, right. there really right. wasn't anything there. That so makes sense. I think that to your point, the burnout's probably helping with some of that performance stuff. They don't have mm-hmm. like amazing performance, but they don't have terrible performance. It's just right. kind of whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think that, yeah, the burnout probably does help there. And I'm sure if you looked longer term, it would help even further. And especially because if you bring in that skill set, let's say all of a sudden now you have that nurse that you need in that department. Well, if everybody else is burnt out, that's not going to help you. Right. 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 You still yeah. need everybody else to be functioning effectively because that one person's not going to turn everything around. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, and then the final thing in terms of results that I wanted to bring up that I thought was really interesting is that... Manpower understaffing is bad for group performance, but only if the leader is not doing consideration. So let hmm. me kind of explain that again. Um, if a leader is supporting, if they're doing that consideration thing that I talked about, the um, you know demonstrating concern and supporting their their team members, then having less people actually doesn't hurt performance. Huh. That's interesting. Right? Yeah. That's that was very really interesting. interesting. Yeah. So, so like most people, most leaders go down the problem solving route, right? They start to solve problems when there's manpower understaffing. But then there were some leaders that did both. And mm-hmm. if they did the emotional piece, if they were helping with the emotional coping of the situation, then performance was not affected. Hmm. That's really interesting. So... Basically, I guess across these two situations, 
the real takeaway would be that these consideration behaviors are very important. Yep. I hmm. would 100% agree with that. Yeah. So really what it comes down to is you want your leaders to be supportive um, of the team members when there is an understaffing situation. They need to be able to show their concern, ex- let their team members talk about it, right? And be supportive. And I think this applies to a team member perspective. They didn't measure it at the team member level. Um, but the one thing that they did measure that team member exchange was related to lower burnout too. So I think that that is important, right? People are generally supporting each other. So I think that if you're able to support each other in a situation where you have less staff, you're going to really impact the outcome for your team overall. Hmm. That's really, really interesting. Um, I think that's, I, I mean, I think that that's really important because I think when, places get themselves into situations where they're understaffed people are stretched thin like not even in this situation but just generally in life I think that when you know I've worked with people and I'm sure you've seen this too where they're like oh you know what but everybody's just stressed because we're understaffed but like there's nothing we can do we we're in a hiring freeze we can't bring more people on and so all that we can do is wait until we can hire more people but what this is basically saying is that your actions as a leader can make this way better for people Mm mm-hmm Exactly. Yeah. I think that's exactly what this is saying. You know, helping people cope from an emotional perspective, being considerate. I mean, really, when we say consideration behaviors, it's really just being considerate. It's being nice. It's um, showing you support them, showing people that you understand the concern, you feel the same concern as them, and you do little things to make your group members of your group feel better. Right. Hmm. Like one of the questions around it was do, literally, does the leader do little things to make it pleasant to be a member of the group? So recognizing people like great job. I know you don't have enough support and you still manage to get this thing done on time. Right. Like showing recognition, doing little things can make a big impact and help your team members not burn out. So I think that's a huge takeaway. I think the hiring freeze example is a great one. Obviously, everything going on with COVID is another good example. Right. Mm-hmm. Trying to ma- take that time as a leader for even just a small act, a small kind word to your team members can go a long way to help them stay energized and not burn out. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that, um, you know, it's probably a good like vote of confidence for leaders that are willing to sort of like stand shoulder to shoulder with their employees because you can't be noticing or be um, engaged or involved enough with what's going on to give that kind of ongoing feedback or to have that kind of consideration. If you're like, oh, I feel really badly that everyone's stressed out, but I'll be here in my office kind of like tucked away. Like it feels like you have to be really a big part of what's going on in order for you know, you to notice those things and be able to provide that consideration. So to me, another interesting takeaway from this potentially is that, you know, when times are tough for your employees, it's good to be present and around and being able to offer that kind of support and encouragement and not take this as an opportunity for you to go hide in your office and be problem solving. Uh, The better thing to do is to just show people that you're there for them. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think it's a definitely a good point. I think it's a really good takeaway. Um, I think that the other thing that I would take away from this, so I think everything that you said just there and the, doing those consideration behaviors is huge. But I also think it's kind of an interesting call out 
Because I don't know how much people talk about the different types of understaffing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, manpower understaffing is the one that everyone thinks about, right? We literally don't have enough people, right? We need right. five people on a shift at a time and we only can get four. Um, right. We only get three. So that's a problem. But sometimes I don't think that we recognize when there's an expertise issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's really easy to think it's just you need more bodies, but maybe you don't. Maybe you just need somebody with a specific skill set that, you know, you're doing your whole team is there's four people on the team and they're all working on a task. And it's harder for these people because they don't have that expertise so that experience, that training, et cetera. So those four people are struggling and it takes a long time to do it. But if you got someone with the right experience, maybe that would completely alleviate the issue and you wouldn't necessarily need a ton more people. It's just you don't have the right makeup of the team. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's just another call out is making sure that you have the expertise and understanding what skill sets you need for the jobs that your group is working on, um, so that you're staffing it appropriately and not missing out on certain skill sets that you actually need. Yeah. I think that's a really good, a really good call as well, because I do think that a lot of times when people feel stretched thin, the very first thing that people think is we have to hire somebody else and we don't have a budget for that. Um, or we have to hire, you know, a bunch more people or whatever the case may be. Um, it's not just about like filling the slot. It's like, well, if you use your money strategically, you might be able to solve the problem a lot easier than just trying to, you know, throw people at the problem. Um, so I think that's a really good point because, um, I hear that a lot too. Like, well, we just have to learn how to do, um, more with less it's like okay but there are different kinds of less and your strategy Mm -hmm. for dealing with that needs to be different and your strategy for solving that needs to needs to vary exactly yep so that's pretty much it that kind of summarizes the main things I wanted to talk about I like Um, that yeah I think it's pretty easy to take away right like leaders out there I mean even if you're not in a, a formal leader but you can you know be a leader on your team show some consideration show people that you understand and you support them. Um, don't, don't shy away from that emotional connection to help emotionally cope with understaffing. Yeah. I think that's a very good point. And I think that, you know, this article is very helpful and timely now, but I think it's also been helpful and timely for people who have been dealing with understaffing issues, uh, across time. So that's really Mm -hmm. awesome. I agree. I agree. Well, We'd love to hear from all of you um, what experiences you're having right now with everything going on with the coronavirus. Um, also, what you think about this article. If Have you ever dealt with understaffing? Are you dealing with it today? Is this helpful? Just love to hear all of your stories, as always. You can find us at workerbeing.com. You can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. Um, you can also find us on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at workerbeing. Um, and don't forget to sign up for our email list. We um, have a link in the show notes to that if you want to hear more about virtual events and classes and things coming up. Um, and we're also doing a number of virtual happy hours. So we've had one. It's super fun during this whole COVID experience. So if you're want in on that, sign up for our Facebook group um, and get in on the fun. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson.